last week I was not um, completely accurate with, well, no, I was accurate. Everything I said was true, but I omitted something that was really important. Last week I discussed the fact that God has twice given man the opportunity for perfection. That he gave man the opportunity for perfection in the garden, which was dropped, the ball was dropped, and then at Mount Sinai, again, a second time. We read about Israel being elevated to this level of holiness, equivalent with the angels, and God is giving the Torah and saying, let's do this together, let's live in a world of peace and justice, right? We talked about justice, justice, justice. Elohim, the God of justice. So once at creation, once at Sinai, but here's the omission. It wasn't just twice that that offer was made. It was thrice. There was another time. The opportunity to live in a perfected world under God's rule and reign. When was the third time? I'm going to give you the words of Zechariah who was John Yochanan, the Immerser's father. Here's what he said when he could talk again. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times, salvation from our enemies. And from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, would serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all the days of our lives. That is what salvation meant to Yeshua's audience. Okay? And to live in righteousness, the Greek word, dikeasune, to live in righteousness means to live in justice, pure justice, a world rightly ordered, him who is as he ought to be, the condition acceptable to God, to live as God intended from the beginning. When was the third time? When Yeshua came and said these words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. That was the chance. Because what was going to happen after that? Had that that proclamation been accepted, had Yeshua been internalized and magnified as the Mashiach, the conquering king, the son of David, when he came and said, turn back to me and my ways, to God's ways, that's what repentance means. Hashivenu avinu letoratecha. Return us, God to your Torah, to your instruction. And the kingdom, Malchut Shemayim, the kingdom of heaven would be established in their midst. Bashamayim Gamba Aretz, on earth as it is in heaven, the righteous Messiah would bring it. And something spectacular was going to happen. Now, a long time ago, several years ago, Daniel Lancaster did a teaching called How the Gospels Would Have Ended. It was a tremendous 
uh, historical fiction. We listened to it as the sermon one time in here because it was so interesting. I encourage you to get a copy of that if you're a First Roots of Zion friend or just finding it. I have the audio maybe somewhere. It was the story of what would have happened if that perfect world had been realized, if Yeshua had been heard, had been accepted. It would have been the kingdom and all of the prophetic promises from the garden to Sinai through all the prophets would have been realized in that very moment and the world would have lived in perfection. And that, that is a huge component of what the gospel was. Evangelion, the good news is what Zechariah said. You're going to save us, God. Salvation. We have a very, very clear idea what salvation means, right? Salvation means I said a prayer, I believe in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. That's not at all what salvation meant to the first century audience. It meant exactly what he said. And a better word would be rescued. We will be rescued from all of our trouble because of this Messiah. And guess what? Unfortunately, unfortunately, once again, just like in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve said, nope, we'll take the fruit. And at Mount Sinai when they said, nope, we'll take the calf. The people instead said something interesting. Nope, we'll take the cross. Okay, now. The cross is edified in Christian thought and symbolism as like the ultimate, like the cross, okay? And so I don't mean any disrespect, but I want to say something probably unchristian and controversial, which I've never done before. <laughs> According to Zechariah and all of the expectation for salvation that was coming in the first century, the cross was an absolute tragedy, it was a tragedy because every promise that they were looking for Yeshua to deliver on ended that day. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like Moses coming down from the mountain after having this incredible revelation up there with God and bringing this gift to Israel and saying, I have perfection here for you. We can live together in harmony with God. It's like that, him seeing them dancing around a calf engaged in idolatry and making horrible choices. Do you remember? And I have notes, but they were so incredibly convoluted this morning that I couldn't even make any sense of them. So I'm going to try to just do this on my own, okay? With him doing it through me. That's my hope. It can be compared to Yeshua having a, a message for the first part of the Gospels, which was repent for the kingdom of God has drawn near. What is he saying? He's saying, come back to the Torah. Restore the covenant. Come back and God's going to make perfect this world. But you notice, I want you to read the Gospels carefully. You notice that that tone and that conversation changes as we move to the end. And we start a different conversation, all of Yeshua's 
discussions become different. It's not so much now repent for the kingdom of God is drawn near. It's I have to go to Jerusalem and die. The son of man must be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. And you notice this when he is in Luke looking down over Jerusalem. Remember what he does? Remember what he says? He weeps for them. He weeps for them. And he says something that's in here, one second, that's really important. In Luke 19, Yeshua, he says, Would that, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days we come upon you, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You made the wrong choice. I have offered you everything. I have offered you salvation. I have offered you rescue. And you did not take it. You didn't know. But, so yeah, and, and really, I have, I have misnamed this message because what's happened before my eyes is I realized that God has redirected me and given me of some really important things to say about the gospel, about redemption, about salvation. But for now, it's called that. Okay? Why? Because the similarities are incredibly striking. A chance for redemption, a failure. Garden, a chance for redemption, a failure. Sinai, golden calf, a chance for redemption, failure. You did not recognize the time of your visitation. You did not listen. You did not hear my words about redemption. You see that connection? But I want to take you back to last week, and you need to have heard last week's message for this to make sense. But we talked about what Moses did after the calf. He broke the tablets, remember? And I told you, who inscribed that first set of tablets? We talked all about the names of God, Hashem Elohim, the God of mercy, the God of justice. Who inscribed the first set of tablets? Elohim, the God of justice. With the very finger of Elohim, they were written. And Moses came down and smashed them. And what did he do next? He begged for mercy. He interceded for the people. He went and he said, Hashem Elohecha, Hashem, God of mercy, Elohecha, my God of justice. Please be true to your name of Hashem and show them mercy. And what did God do? He showed them mercy. That was Moses. That was the first Redeemer. I want you to meet the second, the final Redeemer, Yeshua. And what did he do? The very same thing. He looked down from the mountain over Jerusalem. He looked and he said, I'm weeping for you. How could you do this? And yet, 
he broke something too. He broke something that contained also the very essence of God that God had literally inscribed into Yeshua. Who is Yeshua? He is the living word. God inscribed, he gave his essence, Philippians 2 says, into Yeshua. This Messiah was the chance for redemption. And instead, he had to make a choice. What choice? The choice to break himself. Not tablets inscribed by God, but the very body and blood of Messiah filled with the essence of God broken on a cross because he had to make that choice. Why that choice? Because you couldn't do it, Hannah. Sam, you couldn't do it. Dave, you couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. We have never been able to do it. We don't make the right choice. But he does. And he did. Now, what I want you to understand is there's something called penal substitution theory. It's an old, it goes back to origin or somebody way back there, which says this. God is justice. And he is. We talked about that. Hashem Elohim. The God of justice created the world. The God of justice gave the tablets. The God of justice inscribed and gave his essence into Yeshua himself. God is justice. Penal substitution theory and Christian atonement says God is justice and he's very, very mad. And somebody is going to bleed. Somebody's going to die. Somebody better take this punishment because God is angry. That's not at all what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. God continued to give choices. Continued to give choices. Now, here's the thing. If, if we remove Yeshua's ability to choose the cross on our behalf, if we put God in a man suit... And just say, oh, well, this, you know, God did it. God came and died for us. If we remove the element of choice from Yeshua, we remove the power of the entire story. That he made the choice that you cannot make. And was it a choice? In Acts 2, it says, well, this was a foreordained plan. Foreordained. Of course. God knows everything, but was it a choice for him? I want you to read him in the Garden of Gethsemane and tell me then. Did he make a choice? Did he want an alternative? Did he want to suffer and die like that and hurt and do all that? Of course not. But he made the choice. And we can't take that away or we lose the beauty. But that calf and cross connection is much, much bigger than that. Because I want to talk to you about the gospel. Okay? The gospel. What is the gospel? Believe in Jesus, go to heaven when you die. No, that's not the gospel. 
The gospel was repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near. I'm bringing the Torah. I'm bringing the kingdom. I'm bringing it all and we're going to be in right relationship. Now, Yeshua said, I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What? Fulfill what? The Torah, Matthew 5. Do not think that I have come to abolish. No, not abolish, but to fulfill. Okay? Now, it is assumed that when he said that, that the gospel message includes an eradication of the Torah, right? Much, much of, much of evangelical or, or I don't even know the right kind of Christianity to call it, but let's just face it. I mean, a lot of people say the law is dead, right? The law has no place. Yeshua said, I came to fulfill it. What does that mean? I have always taught and still believe that it means one thing for sure. It means to fill full, right? It means I came to teach you how to live with kingdom mindset. What is kingdom mindset? It's Torah. It's God's word. Let's just not even say the word Torah. Let's just say God's instruction for life. He came to do that. And to fill it full because there was a lot of confusion and a lot of bad things going on at the time. And I've always said that and I totally still believe that. But you know what I realized? I have missed the real filling full of Torah. Because Yeshua did make that choice. But the cross is not the story. Where is the story? The story is at the tomb. The story is at the resurrection. Peter says again in Acts 2, you killed him on a cross, but God saw fit to resurrect him. That is the forgiveness. That is when Yeshua took himself before God and said, I will be justice for them. You are just. I understand that. I will be justice for them. And through me, and God secured it and made it a certainty. Through me, something is going to happen that's going to make what was dropped at creation, dropped at Sinai, that's going to happen through me. Do you know what it's called? It's called the new covenant. Have you ever heard of that? It's called the new covenant. That's what Yeshua realized for us when he made his choice that you couldn't make. What was the offer at creation? Do this, just don't do that. How'd we do? What was the offer at Sinai? Do these things, don't do these things. What did we do? We didn't make it 40 days before we engaged in the number one thing God abhors, idolatry. And so the connection that Yeshua is making and what it really means to fulfill the Torah. I told you also last week that God did forgive. He did forgive Israel, but he said, it's not going to be easy for you. You're going to struggle with your evil inclination and you're going to struggle to live out the Torah. But Yeshua did something different. If, 
if, if you're willing to make a very easy choice. It's still about a choice. We didn't get, we, the, the choice thing didn't go away just because he made the choice for us. You still have to make a choice. What is it? You are the Messiah. No one comes to the Father except through him. We make this choice. And do you know what he does? Do you know what he does? Of course, he forgives sin. That's a part of the gospel. But do you know what the gospel is? The new covenant. And do you know what the new covenant is? The key component of the new covenant. Read it in Ezekiel 36. Read it in Jeremiah 31. What's the key component of the new covenant? The Torah is the key component of the new covenant. Do you want me to prove it to you? Does anyone want to be a Berean and we can go back to the scriptures and search it out? Write it on your heart. This is the new covenant. Ezekiel says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you hear what that is? To obey my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Jeremiah says it even more clearly. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declare the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You cannot have a gospel that's only about forgetting sins. That is an incomplete gospel. If you do not have the salvation element, if you do not have the restoration of Torah into your heart, you never undo what we lost at creation and what we lost at Sinai. Yeshua's fulfilling the Torah means it's going to be written on your heart and you do not have to worry about it. You don't have to strive. You don't have to try. The kingdom is going to be that. The Torah written on your heart. Okay? And so by Yeshua's choice, he restores everything, but not yet. Who's perfect in here? Who struggles with sin? Who's fully living out the new covenant? Who's seeing the kingdom unfold before us out there? Sort of, but not really. We are on our way, but we are not there. But God did something amazing in Yeshua. Amazing. He gave him the honor. We've been talking about God's name, right? Hashem Elohim. We've been talking about his name, God of mercy, which is what Yeshua called on. On the cross, he said, I will be justice. God, show them mercy. And he did. And through the resurrection, Yeshua has fulfilled, it was fulfilling Torah in all of us. It's going to be written. But God did something truly amazing. It says in Philippians, he gave him 
the name above all names. Right? What is the name above all names? In that context. I mean, what does everyone say is the name above all names? Because that's what it says in Philippians 2. I gave you the name above all names. Jesus, right? I mean, that's what everyone says. I gave you the name above all names. But when we read Revelation, it says that Yeshua has a name that only he knows. And we read that the, the John, that God has put his name inside of Yeshua, that he has inscribed his name. We read also that Yeshua says, I have, I have called them in your name. I made known to them your name. And we have to understand that as, as, as unchristian as this potentially is, Jesus is not the name above all names. And there's a lot to say behind that statement. And I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it next week. Because there's a lot. And we haven't even begun to talk about the Gentiles. Because everything I just said about the New Covenant and all that, and all this salvation story, Zechariah is talking about the Jewish people. What about Yeshua and the Gentiles? And why is this plan what it is? And how big is it? And how far back does it go? And all that other kind of stuff. So we need to talk about that next week. The name above all names will uncover it. Okay? Shabbat Shalom.